You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas is continuing his series on Old Testament characters, now looking into the life of Jeroboam and Rehoboam. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is Old Testament Premium Podcast number 33, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. I bring you greetings from Georgia, where we're about to begin our annual teacher seminar on Why Do the Nations Rage? Gospel Solutions to Prejudice and Separation. I'm really looking forward to this seminar, to all the guest speakers who will be coming in, and just the chance to be stimulated in this way. Like you who are listening to the podcast, I'm looking for ideas. I'm looking for solutions. Always looking for things in God's Word I may have missed or misunderstood or worse, uh, taught incorrectly. And it's just a a wonderful privilege to have fellowship uh, with people from different parts of the world and calls me to really be my best for God. I wish you could be here at this seminar. Anyway, the purpose right now is to get into this podcast Jeroboam and Rehoboam, I, I, I know they sound like they're brothers. They actually sound like they may be twin brothers. There's Jeroboam and Rehoboam and, and uh, maybe another one, a sister named Trixie Boam. Really, there, there's no connection at all. They're not related. They are connected in a sense that they knew each other and they both reigned at the same time. But any other resemblance is coincidental. In fact, they're really different. They're at opposite ends of the leadership spectrum. If I were going to give a subtitle to this podcast, I might call it the two extremes or the two poles of leadership. One is inflexible. The other guy is flexible. One's hardline. One's a little too easygoing, loose. One is trying to control everybody and the other one lets everyone get out of control. Actually, they're both controlling in a sense. You'll see once we get in there. So we're going to be reading mainly from 1 Kings and I'm going to begin in chapter 11, verse 26. Here we meet Jeroboam, who's a servant of Solomon. And we find that he's capable. Solomon is doing some building work. And this guy is capable. I think it's not just uh, that he was good at building. He must have been good at administration. Let me read one verse. Now the man Jeroboam was capable, and Solomon noticed the young man because he was getting things done. Hey, so far so good. I, I would like someone to say, you're getting things done. That's good. What Solomon does then, he appoints him over the entire labor force of the house of Joseph. Well, when he says the house of Joseph, we're talking about a couple of the tribes. You may remember Joseph had two sons, so there's no tribe of Joseph. But his sons were Ephraim and Manasseh. And Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, that accounts for a very large part of Israel. So Jeroboam is promoted to a position of responsibility. During that time, now I'm going to start reading in verse 29. The prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met Jeroboam on the road as Jeroboam came out of Jerusalem. Now Ahijah had wrapped himself with a new cloak and the two of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he had on, tore it into 12 pieces and said to Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I am about to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I will give you ten tribes, but one tribe will remain his because of my servant David and because of Jerusalem, the city I chose. 
out of all the tribes of Israel. Let's just pause for a moment. Jeroboam is leaving the city of Jerusalem. Perhaps he had been working that day. At any rate, he is met, he's intercepted by a prophet. And the prophet dramatically shows him that he will become a new king. But not the king of all of Israel, just the king of most of Israel. And he symbolizes this by tearing his cloak into 12 pieces, 10 of which are for Jeroboam, and two of which will remain to the son of Solomon. And we'll come to him in a moment. This dramatic action is is precedented. There are a number of places, you may be familiar with them, where something is torn or cut into multiple pieces and sent throughout Israel or just chopped into pieces. I think it's kind of an interesting theme to explore. Uh, But the prophets often taught very dramatically. In this case, the guy's taking his new cloak, his clothes, and he's tearing them into pieces. Well, what's the problem? If we continue to read, we'd see the problem is that there's tremendous idolatry among the descendants of David. Although David was faithful and God loved him, Solomon turned away in his old age, and his descendants are not so faithful. And the passage continues to tell us specifically which gods they were worshiping, the gods and goddesses of the people. Anyway, the prophet says, I will humble David's descendants because of their unfaithfulness, but not forever. In other words, Jeroboam is being asked to step in and lead, partly as a punishment for God's people, partly because um, the other king, the alternate king, Rehoboam, wasn't going to deserve to be in leadership. Solomon, we see, tried to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, where he remained until Solomon's death. Now, I fear at this point some listeners may be getting the names confused. So let's, let's uh, put this in historical context. It's 2,900 years ago. Solomon is on the throne, but at this point, he's turned away from God. Maybe not entirely, but he's been influenced by the idolatrous religions of all those wives. So we had Saul, David, Solomon. He's the third king. Solomon has a son named Rehoboam. Solomon is still on the throne, though. When he hears that the prophet has told Jeroboam that Jeroboam will be king. Now, I don't know how much of that message got to Solomon. But he knew that uh, this meant the end of, well, not necessarily the end of his dynasty, because that would continue, but the end of his dynastic control over Israel. And so he does the noble thing. He tries to assassinate Jeroboam. Look, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek. It's amazing how far Solomon falls. So Jeroboam, and he's not the first one in Scripture, nor the last uh, to do this, he flees to Egypt until it's safe. And then he returns. Okay, so Jeroboam is our first character. His name means the people contend. The people contend. Actually, it seems Jeroboam is the one who's contending because this prophecy and the power that are entailed in the political promise go straight to his head. And it's the people of God who are really contending with God. Summing up, Jeroboam is a superintendent under Solomon. The prophet tells him he'll be king over ten tribes. Once he's discovered, he flees to Egypt. Once Solomon knows the the future situation. And there, 
uh, he hides until it's safe, and he comes back and he leads most of Israel into a terrible idolatry. We'll return to that soon. We won't look at 1 Kings 14, though, where he even sends his wife on a, a mission. She's lying for him. This is not really a great guy. Capable, but, but not a great guy. He seems to have a strength of character. I wish it were more spiritual. There's a reflection we find in 2 Chronicles 13. It says, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an official of Solomon, son of David, rebelled against his master. Some worthless scoundrels gathered around him and opposed Rehoboam, son of Solomon, when he was young and indecisive and not strong enough to resist them. Now that's really a flashback. Chronicles is, you know, has all this parallel material to the kings and to Samuel. And here we see the heart of Jeroboam is rebellion. And the people who support him are, are worthless scoundrels. That's not put very kindly, but it's a character assessment God has the right to make. And we see here that Jeroboam opposed Rehoboam. But Rehoboam was young and indecisive. And I think many of us can relate to that. Most of us are not confident as people, or we were not confident to start out with. I relate to this completely. It's that indecisiveness, that fear of making a mistake. Well, now we're introduced to our second character, Rehoboam, or Rehavam. And I'll tell you what his name means in a moment. He is the son of Solomon, but he's also the son of an Ammonite woman. In essence, he's the fruit of Solomon marrying outside the faith. Now still, that need not have prevented him from having a successful and spiritual life. There are many people in Scripture who come from a, uh, let's say, a dysfunctional family background or a situation where there wasn't a strong father around or, or the family was divided. That's a common theme, not just in, in our time, but in Scripture too. And, and often the kids turn out great. But unfortunately, Rehoboam is not a man of great character. And at first, when Jeroboam breaks away, he wants to go to war against him, but another prophet, Shemaiah, prevents it. And eventually, uh, when he's been on the throne uh, just a few years, Shishak, that's the king of Egypt, who was, uh, I, I guess, <laughs> became a, a friend of Jeroboam, when Jeroboam was there, he invades. And Judah is reduced to basically just being a vassal state. It's about 926 B.C. In fact, we know that Shishak, the pharaoh of Egypt, invaded because at Karnak, there's a monument, an Egyptian monument to this military campaign. And it actually names all the cities that Rehoboam had fortified as king, but which Shishak had captured. Well, let's, let's uh, see where Rehoboam got off track. I'm in chapter 12 of 1 Kings. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard about it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon's presence, Jeroboam stayed in Egypt. They summoned him, and Rehoboam and the whole assembly of Israel came, uh, Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. Now, let's, let's make sure we're, we understand What's happening here? Jeroboam is appealing to Rehoboam. And the root issue is taxes. Because Solomon was very ambitious, the tax rate was very high. And what Jeroboam is saying here, and he's not alone, there are many who appeal to Rehoboam. 
lower the taxes. Give us a break. Okay, let's see how they put it. Jeroboam and the assembly spoke to Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke harsh. You, therefore, light your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So here, Jeroboam seems to be reasonable. And this whole thing about the heavy yoke certainly reminds us of Jesus' own words about that in the final verses of Matthew 11. But I don't want to get off track right here. Look at Rehoboam's reply. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, says, Go home for three days and then return to me. So the people left. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive, asking, How do you advise me to respond to these people? They replied, Today, if you will be a servant to these people and serve them, and if you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders who had advised him and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and served him. He asked them, What message do you advise that we send back to these people who said to me, Lighten the the yoke your father put on us? And then the young men who had grown up with him told him, This is what you should say to these people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. This is what you should tell them. My little fingers thicker than my father's loins. Although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. Or, many translations, with scorpions. Oh, this is, this is great. This is going to go down well, isn't it? The older men understand more the way leadership works. They understand that a gentle approach is is much more likely to be successful than than a a harsh approach. And yet Rehoboam is young, and as we saw, he was indecisive. So what happens? The king did not listen to the people because the turn of events came from the Lord to carry out his word, which the Lord had spoken through Ahijah the Shabbatite to Jeroboam son of Nebat. When all Israel saw that the king had not listened to them, the people answered him, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Israel, return to your tents. David, now look after your own house. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites living in the cities of Judah. And and this is uh, something we see in ancient times throughout human history and even in our own day. When leaders are harsh or when they're not giving a spiritual uh, guidance to the people, People look to their own house. So it says Israel went to their tents. Basically, they said, well, we may be your subjects, but we're not going out of our way to serve you. Not with that attitude. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of forced labor. But all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam managed to get into the chariot and flee to Jerusalem. Israel is in rebellion against the house of David until today. Whoa, that is heavy. He sends a fellow, he deputizes, he delegates to Adoram, who's in charge of the labor, and this guy is stoned to death. They're not about to submit to these harsh and radical demands. And Rehoboam flees, he goes to Jerusalem. And then there's the comment that Israel is in rebellion against the house of David until today. 
And that tells you that uh, First Kings is written quite a long time ago. Because, of course, that, that rebellion, uh, well, it became a, a non-issue you know, a few centuries later. Well, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they summoned him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. No one followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah alone. What is happening here? The nation has split. The ten tribes of the north go with Jeroboam. The two tribes of the south, essentially uh, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, which is very close. They stay with the line of Solomon. And the Messiah would be born through David and thus the promises of God were being directly mediated through this line of kings. But Israel, that is, northern Israel, it's a synonym, they go a different way. Well, what does Jeroboam do? How does Jeroboam keep control once Rehoboam loses control? We read in 1 Kings 12, 25. Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there, he went out and built Penuel. Jeroboam said to himself, The way things are going now, the kingdom might return to the house of David. If these people regularly go to offer sacrifices in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, the heart of these people will return to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will murder me and go back to the king of Judah. So the king sought advice. Let's just stop right there. He realizes that uh, Jerusalem has a historic claim, uh, it's tremendous sentimental power, and a legitimacy that he simply doesn't have. And he can see the writing on the wall. If he doesn't do something, the whole nation might revert to Rehoboam. And uh, somewhat to his credit, he seeks advice. <laughs> but it's not, this is not good advice either. So Rehoboam rejected the good advice. Now Jeroboam is uh, seeking advice, but it's just evil. We read, Then he made two gold calves. And he said to the people, Going to Jerusalem is too difficult for you. Israel, here's your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He set up one in Bethel and put the other in Dan. This led to sin. The people walked in procession before one of the calves all the way to Dan. Jeroboam also built shrines on the high places and set up priests from every class of people who were not Levites. Jeroboam made a festival in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month. Like the festival in Judah, he offered sacrifices on the altar. He made this offering in Bethel to, to sacrifice to the calves he'd made up. He also stationed in Bethel the priest for the high places he had set up. He offered sacrifices on the altar he'd set up in Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month, the month he had decided on his own. He made a festival for the Israelites, offered sacrifices on the altar, and burned incense. So what is Jeroboam's program? Well, it says he set up two gold calves. That should immediately remind us of Exodus 32 and the incident with Moses and Aaron. This is, this is not just idolatry. It, it seems to be a, a, a repetition of a sin that was public and part of Israel's tradition and for which there was no excuse. Where does he put these calves? Well, he puts one in the very north of the country and Dan... Archaeologists have found the site of this altar. I've visited there myself a couple of times. 
And the other one he puts in the south. Well, see, the problem is Jerusalem is in the south. So Rehoboam controls the, the southernmost part of the land. So he puts his second, that is Jeroboam, puts his second shrine in Bethel. That's not even really very far from Jerusalem. But he cannot risk people going to Jerusalem, being impressed, being awed, and maybe being wooed back through the line of David. So he sets up the golden calves in Dan and Bethel. But he does more than that. The leadership standards are lowered drastically. In God's word, in the Torah, one must be a Levite. If you're not from the tribe of Levi, you can't be a priest. You can't help with the holy things. Obviously, that's not going to work well. Uh, he, he wants to not so much delegitimize the Levites, although in effect he does that. He gives them nowhere to go. But he wants to open it wide. Open wide the gates to leadership and let anyone be a leader who wants to be. Anyone can be a priest. And so the biblical standard is abandoned. And boy, doesn't that sound familiar? What's happened in so many centuries of church history and even many places, I've seen that the standard of leadership is not really what it should be. But he, does, he goes farther. In addition to the shrines with the golden calves, in addition to the lower standard of leadership, he creates a rival festival to Passover. Because remember, the law says three times a year all the Jews have to go to Jerusalem. One of those is Passover, which is the number one time. Well, Jeroboam doesn't want to risk that. So he creates a rival festival. He's basically recast Judaism in the image of Canaan. He's taken tremendous liberties and he's brought in the elements, I guess, towards which Solomon was gravitating, those elements that Moses and Joshua absolutely rejected. And so he leads those ten tribes right into apostasy. Well, it's kind of interesting, the names of these two fellows. We have Rehoboam, we have Jeroboam. What does Rehoboam mean? It means the people are enlarged. That is, the population has increased. But that's very ironic. Because Israel had already reached the high point of their population. The numbers, that is. They had reached the acme of political power under Solomon. And under Rehoboam, Rehoboam the weak, the indecisive, they're actually declining. So, nice try. Uh, it's too bad his name couldn't be fulfilled. But the people are not being enlarged. And then the name of Jeroboam, the people contend. They contend with God, fundamentally. Jeroboam contends with Rehoboam. So, we can see the split, the wedge that's dividing Israel, ripping into two which will ultimately lead to two separate exiles. The north will fall first because of the son of Jeroboam, the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, also because of his sons. Uh, they'll be led into captivity by the Assyrians in the 8th century BC. Judah in the south will hang on a little bit longer and they'll be ultimately taken into captivity by the Babylonians in the 6th century BC. Okay, it's time to conclude. And then let's talk about what we learn about God. There are two poles of leadership. One is permissive. It's, uh, I suppose it thinks of itself as being creative. It's liberal in a way. The other pole is conservative. It's restrictive. 
Rehoboam tries that restrictive, ultra-conservative approach. You know, you think my father was tough. Solomon was wimpy compared to me. And he throws around his muscle, though he doesn't really even have that much muscle. He's rejected. That's the one pull. You have Jeroboam. He's creative. He's liberal. He's an opportunist. He wants power. And he says to the tribes, it's really too much. This old system, the Levitical system, that's a bit extreme, don't you think? Here's an alternative. Just go to Dan. Go to Bethel. Anyone can be a priest. We'll have our own festival. We'll have a good time. Although they're at opposite ends of the pole, one being very restrictive, one very permissive, both of them were actually trying to maintain control. This is not a political commentary, but if I were going to get into it, I would argue that liberals, conservatives alike, one thing they have in common is they all want control. And they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. Most leaders err on one side or the other. Now, what's my personality type? What's my tendency? Speaking for myself, it's got to be the more controlling. The farther back I remember, the more controlling I seem to have been. I I mean, if I think back a few years, I can see some changes, some reforms. I go back a bit, a few years further, and I think, ooh, that probably wasn't the way to handle it. I go back a few years more, and I cringe. And I go back 15 or 20 years, and I start to wince, and I go back farther. And It's not that, that God doesn't use it. God was working through Rehoboam. God works through all these kings we may look at, look at. But I think it just goes along with age. The, the older you are, normally the gentler you become. I hope I'm mellowing. But the, the, that means that the converse is that when we rewind the hands of the clock, as farther back we go. Uh, the more we act out of insecurity and we can be controlling. Well, that's my type. That means I've got to fight this. How about you? Which pole do you tend towards? Are you a very permissive leader? Are you a very controlling leader? Or I, I guess if you're like Jesus Christ, you'd have the right balance. That's a tough act to follow. Which pole do you tend towards? And you may say, well, Douglas, I'm not a leader, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, then just apply it to personality because we all tend, we gravitate one way or the other. How can we find the balance? Well, I've already suggested, let's look at the leadership style of Jesus. We've got to study God's word. We've got to learn from history, history of Israel and from church history. And yes, we should collaborate with different people, but we've got to listen to the older folks, not just the young guns. Often wisdom is found in the aged. And last, what do we learn about God? Well, there are three lessons that emerge. Maybe you can find some more. First, God knows what will happen. He knows all things. Now, through the prophet, two prophets we actually looked at in this lesson, it's clear he knows the future. He knew about Jeroboam's rebellion against the line of Solomon. He knew about Rehoboam's immaturity and his harshness and even the civil war that would follow. And he knew that Rehoboam would eventually mellow out and that Jeroboam would lead the people to the precipice. But God's foreknowledge in no way removes our responsibility. He knows all things, but that doesn't take away our responsibility. Number two, as with Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. Well, so it is with Judah and Israel. 
So it is with Rehoboam and Jeroboam. God was still sovereign. He worked his mysterious will. God is working through these events. But the fact that he does so never vindicates evil or condones compromise. The fact that God is working through uh, a number of unspiritual individuals and nations and movements throughout history and throughout biblical history does not mean that uh, what they do is absolutely right. In fact, it could be absolutely wrong, but still God would be moving. And third, there are extremes to be avoided in leadership. God's word often shows us the fruits of ungodly philosophies of leadership. And with that in mind, the next podcast will focus on Ahab and Jezebel. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Jeroboam and Rehoboam. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.